Uh, if the ushers can help me out and make sure uh, our team leaders are in the room, uh, ushers, uh, uh, team leader, hospitality team leader, um, uh, Brandy Goddad, is she in the room? Somebody go get Brandy, make sure she's in the room. And uh, see who else. Uh, whoever's representing Happy Place, if you're here, that'd be great. Uh, Jay McCutcheon, Patrick Berg, John Oliver, make sure we're all in the room. Uh, here's what we want to do right now. We want to say a big congregational thank you to all of the teams that helped us and served throughout the pandemic. And Yeah. They, and um, I, uh, so I'm going to invite the, uh, the leader of the team up here, and you come, and then when, that, when they come, if you're on their team, I want you just to stand. Just stay there, but, but stand, and uh, I'm going to make a presentation to each leader that's here. So uh, wait till I call you guys, because we want to make a big deal out of you coming up. We don't want you just <laughs> kind of meandering up here. We want to make a big deal. So... So I want a big hand for Brandy Gaudette and the BCC Kids team. Uh, here's, a, here's an acknowledgement, and I have a $10 Dunkin' Donut gift cards for each member of your team. Wow. And you. That's awesome. Thanks, guys. Stay right here. Stay right here. Stay with me right here. They're used to giving orders, and I used to follow them. <laughs> Mike Sutton and the security team. Woo! Thank you, Mike. Shane Sullivan and the production team. All the, all the production team, st step out of the, uh, come out of the booth where everybody can see you. Come out. Uh, is um, uh, is Jared Haskell here today? He was going to try to be here today, but Jared Haskell was one of our main uh, filmers, uh, did the filming and uh, camera work when we were doing those productions that were just like TV productions. They did such an incredible job. And, amen? Uh, Sherry McCutcheon, Melissa Mills, if she's here, and the hospitality team. Jason McCutcheon and the worship team. Uh, Dan Morace, I believe John Oliver is here to represent Dan. Dan's not here today, but... Uh, this was a big team, I mean, an important team, and not a lot of them, but uh, Dan Morace, John Oliver, and the facilities team. That, they're the ones who disinfected the place before you guys came here, and uh, I got the wrong designation on there, but you know what it is. Uh, Patrick Burke and the usher team. Thank you, Patrick. Great job. Incredible job. Very important job during this time. Uh, Megan Petty's not here today, but who's representing Happy Place? 
I was supposed to have somebody here that would represent Happy Place. You're going to represent Happy Place? Thank you. Um, and they did a fabulous job. So I realize we have this summer, middle of summer. A lot of people are away. But if you're on the security team, stand up. If you're on the facilities team, stand up. I think that a lot of those guys are out working. If you're on the hospitality team, stand up. And if you're on the B stand up, he's a, he's a shy he's a shy person. This uh, Chris Gallo, I do, you know, he's he's a total introvert. <laughs> uh, if you're on the BCC kids team, stand up. And I know a lot of them. If you're on the production team, get, come out where everybody can see you. I, they don't think anything can run if they're not out of the booth. If they're not in the booth. If you're on the worship team, stand up. If you're on the usher team, stand up. Let's give them all a big hand. How about a standing ovation? Standing ovation. Thank you, guys. We love you. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Thank you. You just need to know, I mean, if you're, if you're not serving somewhere, we understand. Some people are called to serve in other ways, other places. We get that, no problem. But you do, need to, you do need to be reminded that God doesn't send down angels to take care of everything. And you also, I hate to break it to you, but the lead pastor does very little. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really nothing without them. <laughs> And like a little girl told me one time, she said, do you ever work? She said, I, no, she said all I ever see you do is stand around. <laughs> so that's more truth than fiction, huh? All right, we're, we're, we're talking about returning powerfully. And so this is just kind of a debrief from 2020. So I'm taking three sermons to talk about things we're returning from, and I'm basing it, the, the, the phrase returning powerfully, I'm basing that on Jesus Christ, who was, went on lockdown, social distance for 40 days, in the wilderness, tempted of the devil, by himself, isolated, and when he came back from that isolation, the Bible says, he returned in the power of the Spirit. And one translation says, he returned powerfully. So that's what I am seeing. I really am seeing that happening. I'm seeing Bethany Community Church at least, and I'm sure other churches, hopefully, I'm seeing our church return in really spiritual power. And we won't know exactly uh, that there will be some, I suppose, that we won't see uh, for whatever reason. They have moved on to another church, or they uh, hopefully some of them not going to church. And we'll know more about that when the fall comes. Um, but regardless, uh, the, the, and, and numbers matter. I, I believe that numbers matter. But you know what even matters more than numbers is the power of the Spirit yes. in the room. And the power of the Spirit in your life. Remember Gideon's army? It wasn't the numbers that won the battle. It was the spiritual intensity. So to, last week we talked about returning from social isolation and returning to, to, to live in community and returning to the value of one another. And today I want to talk about a, a, little, a little more difficult subject, I suppose, and that's returning from political polarization. Now, as we all know, 
there's no, uh, probably no year in our lifetime, if we look back through history, there have been a lot, plenty of political polarizations and a lot of very difficult election years in America's history. But in our lifetime, I don't think any of us have seen anything like the political polarization and the division in 2020. And we've all been affected by it. So I want to I start with a verse of scripture that I'm not going to really exegete or unpack, but it's just a jumping off point. And you'll see why later. It says in John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, circle, see the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God, circle the kingdom of God, without human can reproduce, without, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Humans can produce only, I, I skipped over some words there because I, I wanted to give you this uh, phrase that's the most important. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And hopefully you realize later why that's important. If I do my job as well as I hope I can. I hope I will. Today I want to talk to you all about how to come back from the brink of losing your inner peace. Good relationships with friends in some cases. And family. Over politics and political matters. In the words of Pastor Steve Deneuf, he's senior pastor of College Wesleyan Church in Mary, Indiana, regardless if you like it or not, everything is political. Everything. Why? Over the years, Americans have looked more and more to the government to fix issues between each other. We support parties rather than communities. When we keep seeking our party to resolve everything, everything becomes political. The church's vibrancy lies in our ability to forge united direction from diverse perspectives to invite people from all walks of life into Christ's body, thereby fostering an environment in which political perspectives make up only a small part of the story to which we belong. Misaligning these priorities is a sign we've lost our identity as God's agents of redemption in the world. Steve Denouf, Senior Pastor, College Wesleyan Church in Marion, Indiana. Now, uh, I, I, I want you to know today, what it, you're gonna, there's going to be a lot of notes going up on the screen. And all those notes are in the app, as well as a few that aren't going to go up on the screen or in your app. Because I really wanted you to have the script to this message, so you can study it for yourself and maybe share it with other people, or go and destroy it, if it annoys you. Um, some people think it's just tribalism. Uh, and the natural bent we all have to gather into groups. And we do. We all have that tribal nature about us of uh, gathering into groups and uh, our group is right and the other group is wrong. But some people think that's all that's going on right now. And so they, they will say things we just, we just all need to get along. But that's naive. There's more going on right now than just tribalism. Though tribalism is really going on. And I could give you many illustrations of what I see as tribalism that's going on. Very unhealthy tribalism. But that's not all that's going on. There's some real disagreements right now. There's, some, there's a real division in how the world is being viewed. There's globalism versus nationalism. 
And, and neither word is necessarily an evil word entirely, right? Uh, there's uh, gender being a social construct and an individual choice versus a biological reality. That's a real disagreement right now that, that many of us have. Defund the police versus defend the police. Go around Menden and parts of Milford, you'll see defend the police, right? Uh, critical race theory as the analytical tool for looking at and removing racism from our society versus the colorblind racism that Martin Luther King preached. You know, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Critical race theory is a different lens to view the racial issues than what Martin Luther King promoted. And perhaps most difficult for Christians is that compassion has been politicized. I believe the politicalization of compassion has been the most disorienting for we who are Christ followers. The current political narrative puts the Christian religion on trial for long-held moral standards as being evidence that we hate humanity. Now, I don't intend to address, address these political issues. Well, I've only got about an hour in 15 minutes, but no. <laughs> I've only got 35 minutes or so before you will start checking out on me. So I don't have time to get into all kinds of political issues. And I do believe, by the way, that the church has to get better at interpreting culture for people. I think we've done a pretty lousy job of being a place that interpreted culture. And there's so many no-talk rules and things. You don't talk about that. You don't talk pretty soon. We don't talk about anything. But would you like to accept Jesus as your personal Savior? And that's all you can talk about without being controversial. And if you start unpacking that really to what that really means, that's pretty controversial. But I don't intend to take the time to address particular particular political issues, not that doing so is categorically wrong, but today I will address how we recover our balance, lower our anxieties, restore our unity, turn the calendar back to a time where we at least among ourselves could disagree, even vigorously debate, but not have to fear losing you as a friend or a companion. Does the Bible, the ancient book of timeless wisdom, have anything to say for our overly politicized times? I say yes, absolutely yes. I love that verse from the time of King David, which simply and without really much explanation said the men of Azekar understood the times and knew what to do. Perhaps, perhaps we could be the men and women of Issachar today in 2021. So, by the way, I want to give a lot of credit to some of you know who Tim Mackey is. How many of you know who Tim Mackey is? You know who Tim Mackey is. How many of you know what the Bible Project? Have you heard of the Bible Project? I, I highly recommend the Bible Project to all of you who are interested in the Word of God, uh, especially sharing the Word of God with your kids. Bible Project is incredible. And Tim Mackey, is a, he, he's, a, he's a theology nerd and uh, a, a, a really interesting guy. So I, I owe a lot of credit to um, uh, his research for this sermon. And if you, you look at his stuff, you'll go, Pastor Phil got that from Tim Mackey. Are you, uh, guilty as charged. So forget about that for a minute. Let us return today. We want to return powerfully. Let us return, first of all, to the biblical foundation of human government and why it often goes terribly wrong. 
How does the Bible, Tim Mackey makes this statement. I'm going to put it up on the wall for you. How does the Bible conceive of humans exercising power over one another? Where does that idea of humans ruling and having authority over each other first appear in the story of the Bible? And how does it develop through the storyline of the Bible? How does the concept meet its fulfillment in Jesus? How does the concept of humans having authority or rule over one another play itself out in light of the resurrection of Jesus? I want us to take a look at that right now. You know God's plan from the beginning was to rule the world through humanity. To rule the world through his image bearers. Look at your neighbor right now on either side of you. You're looking at the image of God. Really. Really, you're the image of God. And God intended for humans to run the planet. God intended, he would govern through image bearers. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, the God, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, and all the wild animals on earth, and all animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, and male and female created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. That was God's plan, that we would govern the earth, and we would govern the earth in such a way that the earth would flourish, and everything around us would flourish. God's plan from the beginning was to give humanity maximum freedom and autonomy. Only humans defining, and this is very important, only humans defining good and evil was off limits. You should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't mess around with trying to, you as a human, trying to define God, good and evil. God said, that's my department. You can name the animals, whatever you want to name them. Have a blast. Enjoy each other. Have babies. Be, be great. Be beautiful. Have things beautiful. Enjoy every aspect of your life. Enjoy a thousand fruit trees. Enjoy all kinds of food. Live it up. Have a party. But don't be messing around with moral definitions. That's my department. God's plan was for the beginning, was that. Now, the Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. It's interesting... Uh, sociologist Philip Reif, and um, I, I just uh, I finished a book, I listened to it, and now I'm reading it, called uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self uh, by Dr. Carl Truman. I highly recommend that book if you want something. It's a, it's a little heavier reading than Joel Osteen, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm not criticizing Joel. Sometimes I need a little Joel Osteen, just a little encouragement. But if you want to understand the culture, but he talks, he refers there to a sociologist named Philip Reef, and Philip Reef was was not a Christian, by the way, uh, but was very concerned about where the culture was going. In fact, he said what we were producing was an anti-culture, and he he wrote a book called Death Works, and I haven't read it yet. Uh, I think that's going to take about a, a month to read that book, but <laughs> but I want to read it someday. But death works. So so he he talked about how we're producing a culture that's producing death, and you know why we're producing death? Because we've taken over God's job. We've taken over the death the, the, over the over the right to define good and evil. 
Egypt became the first corrupt superpower. Wait, wait a minute, I, I jumped ahead of myself, sorry. Uh, we see this downward spiral. Uh, humanity rebelled, that's what I was supposed to say next. Humanity rebelled, declared independence, and took the right to define good and evil on their own terms in Genesis 3. This set a downward spiral that led to Cain murdering his brother Abel, and because he could not accept God's definition of what God required and didn't require, and then wickedness that brought on the flood of Noah, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he said that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. In Genesis 6-5, and then you move on to Genesis 11, and you see Babylon and the Tower of Babel. So when we, when we take the right to design good and evil ourselves, and we take that right away from God, and we no longer have a transcendent source of wisdom, and morality, it leads to Babylon. It leads to Babel. You know what Babel means? It means confusion. It leads to confusion. Pharaoh, but Egypt became the first corrupt superpower whose mistreatment of God's people was directly related to their ignorance and their future and, and their failure to acknowledge Israel's God. Uh, Pharaoh looked around one day, the, the, and this was the Pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph, and he looked at one day and he realized that these immigrants were about to outnumber uh, the Egyptians. And he thought they could overpower us, so I better start eliminating their manpower. And he began to practice a limited genocide by having all the male babies put to death. And he thought, well, while I'm at it, uh, they represent a potential free workforce to create all my construction projects. And so we'll enslave them along with this, this limited genocide. So they turned the whole Jewish community into a slave camp, a Soviet-style gulag or a, a Chinese Uyghur-type re-education camp. And they turned all of Israel. See, this, this is what human governments tend to do uh, when they don't humble themselves before God. Right? Uh, the basis of Pharaoh's tyrannical governance was the failure to acknowledge Israel's God or his right to make the rules for human relationships. See, he was motivated by his emotions, his emotion of fear, his emotion of greed. His emotion of fear, his emotion of greed caused him to enslave the immigrants, caused him to exploit the immigrants, and caused him to kill and, and practice genocide over over the, over the immigrants because, uh, because of the see, moral relativism, which is what we, what we heard about back in the 70s, uh, that your true, you know, uh, 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 all, tr all truth is relative and all morality is relative, you know, um, uh, 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 it, something's wrong in one situation but it's not wrong in another, something's right in one situation, it's not right in another. Uh, situational ethics that Joseph Fletcher taught about. Uh, moral relativism always morphs into tyrannical moral authoritarianism. Always. The philosophy of Rousseau in the middle of the 18th century, which said that the society's institutions, our institutions like the family and the church, creates rules that stifle human uh, uh, authenticity. I got to be authentic and do what I feel like doing rather than what the church is telling me to do or what my parents and the family is telling me to do. And so those ideas of Rousseau became the, the ideological foundation for the French Revolution, which proceeded to invent the guillotine and beheaded 16,000 of its citizens. 
And they killed an additional 150,000 in military attacks. So much for everyone discovering their own authentic selves. <laughs> like uh, George Orwell said, all were equal, but some were more equal than others. <laughs> Exodus 5, we see this, uh, this Pharaoh's acknowledging, or, or you see that the, the Bible points out that what happened in Egypt, in this oppression, that this government, this oppression, the, the oppressive way this government became was directly related to the fact that he did not know Israel's God. After, uh, here's what it says. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron had gone and said, let my people go. Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And who is this Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. See, that was the basis of it. We, now, so that brings us to the question. How are we to serve God in and serve government at the same time. Well, here's what the Bible teaches. And if you go to the book of Daniel, there's no better illustration than, than Daniel. Uh, Chris Hodges has written a book called The Daniel Dilemma, which is what Christians often, Christ followers often live. We often live in that dilemma of serving God and honoring the government. And uh, nobody did that better than Daniel. And these guys paid a tremendous price. If, if you, if you want to think about something that will really humble you, you think of Daniel and the three Hebrew men who, who were the cream of the crop. And even in Israel, they were the cream of the crop morally. Morally, they were the cream of the crop. They didn't deserve to be caught up in the judgment that came upon Israel because of Israel's sin, because they were living a holy and righteous life. But because of Israel's sin, they got caught up in this dragnet of, of deportation to Babylon. And so everybody was deported to Babylon. Of course, Babylon came and took the best and the brightest first. And so they, they take Daniel and his three Hebrew friends and they bring them to Israel. Or they bring them to Babylon and force them to serve this pagan, super pagan environment. And uh, uh, they paid a tremendous price. In fact, it's, 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 it's almost certain they were, uh, they were made eunuchs uh, physically in order to serve the king. And imagine, you're, put yourself in that situation. You're having to serve, serve. You're going through all these indignities and all this pain and all this suffering, and yet they never wavered in their devotion to God. But God told them, he said, I tell you what I want you to do when you go to Babylon, I want you to go and I want you to build houses there and I want you to marry and I want you to, I want you, God said it very, very clearly, I want you to bring prosperity to Babylon. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? That, that God judges his people by letting, us, letting them go to Babylon, but he still says, I, I want you to be such incredible citizens in Babylon that I want you to bring blessing to Babylon. I want you to bring blessing to this pagan environment, this, these people who, who, who have thrown your babies against the rocks and killed them, these people who have plucked out the eyes of your king and dragged you all into, into prison. I, I want you to stand up and I want you to be noble. But we also see that they were to serve God first. 
And there's that wonderful story where the three Hebrew guys are there and Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has built this major statue and he wants them to bow before the statue. When the music plays, there's a bow and they refuse to bow. So here's what we get out of that. We serve God by honoring the earthly king and contributing to the culture. If obedience to the king requires disloyalty to God, then, number one, remind the king that God is their true king. And willingly suffer the consequences. See, I believe political resistance and even protest can be biblical. Uh, We just had a memorial service for Adeline Murray. I don't know, uh, Julie is here, are you here today? uh, Her her daughter's not here today. But, uh, you know, Adeline Murray often went and protested in front of abortion clinics. And, um, and, and she was arrested about 30 times and put in jail for protesting. And, and if you ever spent any time with Adeline, you knew this was not an angry activist. This was a person who had the sweetest spirit and loved God, and she loved those unborn babies. She had a burden for those unborn babies. <laughs> Funny thing happened is Adeline, she, she, she passed away at 86. At age 83... She decided to get a gun permit. I don't know why. <laughs> she, I think it, I, I, I heard it's because her husband got a, a gun permit and they do everything together. So she went down to get a gun permit and they denied her a gun permit because she was a felon. <laughs> so God bless the Adeline Murrays of the world. But be prepared to suffer the consequences if you do that. And understand the people of God can flourish under all kinds of governments. I said understand that the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ can flourish under all kinds of governments. There was no, there is no perfect government. There is no perfect form of government. I think there's better and best, and I think there's better and worst, but in my opinion. But in the Bible, we see God's people flourishing under all kinds of governments. We see them flourishing under the worst emperors in Rome. We see the early church flourish. The early church, God, God chose to have his early church start in one of the most oppressive governments known to humankind, and that was the Roman Empire. And we see the people of Israel, those great stories, those great prophecies that came out of Daniel, those great stories that you teach your children about Daniel and the lion's den and the the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, all came out of God's people being under oppressive regimes and governments that were not godly. In fact, it's almost certain that Nebuchadnezzar accepted the God of Israel, ultimately and eventually, though we're not sure. Let us return to understanding that God ordained human government. But why human government repeatedly, almost always, goes wrong? Because humans have taken upon themselves the right to define good and evil. So don't make that mistake in your personal life. Don't make that mistake in your family of feeling that you do not need a transcendent source of wisdom and a transcendent source of morality. It's like I said the other day. If you need 
information, you can go to the internet. If you need knowledge, you can go to science. But if you want wisdom and insight, there's only one place to go. Nobody else is even offering it today. They're not even offering wisdom and insight. It's not even for sale. You can't even buy it. Hey, that's, that's what we have to offer, guys. That's what this house can be. This place, this venue, this, this, this uh, 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 platform. And I don't mean this platform, but this platform called the church. We can be a laboratory for insight and wisdom that we can offer the world around us. And everybody who wants to come here can be... Isn't that what always happened when Joseph went to Egypt? He became the source of insight and wisdom for for the country of Egypt and he saved them from dying in the famine. Daniel went to the Babylon, and, and the three Hebrew men, they went to, they went to Babylon, this, this incredibly oppressive environment, but they became the only source for wisdom and, and, and insight that so much when the king needed wisdom and insight, he looked at all his, all his PhDs around him and everybody who had been to Harvard and they had no wisdom and insight. He had to go find a, a, an immigrant named Daniel to even find out what his thoughts meant. That is incredible. That's incredible. And that's what you can be if you'll get filled with the Spirit of God and you'll get Jesus as Lord of your life. You can become a source of insight and wisdom. We know, we know, we got it, guys. The Word of God tells us how to be married, how to, how to run, raise our kids, how to manage our health how to manage our souls and our emotions, everything you need to know is in the Word of God. And the Bible says the knowledge of God will fill the earth. Man, I, I tell you, I don't want to finish the sermon. I just want to... Chris, I just feel like getting Pentecostal here today. Chris is wanting... He's wanting that. He keeps pushing me. So let, let us return to a biblical understanding of a loyal engagement. Biblical understanding and a loyal engagement with the kingdom of God. Our conversation about the world, the nation, sexuality, gender, police authority, race, and compassion. We need to have them, but they're not in a human political frame. But a kingdom of God frame. A transcendent frame. Example. Here's an example. If I learn about your racism, what's my kingdom response? My kingdom response is appeal to you. My kingdom response is appeal to you and call you to repentance. And as much as possible, keep it as our secret so you can have time and space to repent. The political response is to announce it on Twitter. Guess what? Megan Pears is racist. Anybody know that? If I learn about your sexual immorality and and your indiscretions, the kingdom response is I humbly come before you and quietly and privately and I bring my Bible with me and I say, listen, here's what the word says, brother, sister. Let me give you a chance to repent. You repent to God, nobody has to know. The political response is I got one over on you. I can bring, I can dominate you with that information. Twitter, baby. 
Went on Twitter, baby. I found out of you. You messed up 20 years ago, you know? I, I'm tempted to start telling stories because there's all kinds of stories about that, but I think I will. It's 10, 12, so I need to bring this to a close. You may say, well, the kingdom of heaven stuff is fantasy. I tell you the fantasy. The fantasy is that a human government is going to create lasting utopias and solve the problem of mortality. That's fantasy. The hope of the world is Jesus. The messenger of hope is the church. The fulfillment of the hope is the kingdom of heaven. It's not just about going to heaven. It's about the rule of heaven. I'm not discouraging political activism, but just don't get confused about which kingdom is going to be standing when the fire goes out. I have one goal today, and that is to get you to make Jesus your king and spread the word everywhere that he is. Jesus' main message was that God's rule in the earth had arrived in himself. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, the Bible says, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Matthew 4.23, I understand current evangelical Christian world, we talk a lot about personal salvation. And we talk a lot about receiving Jesus as your personal Savior. And I love that. that we're not going to quit talking about that, uh, Moses. Uh, we're not going to quit talking about Jesus as our personal Savior. But when Jesus came to earth, he did not, his, the front end of his message in that day was not, I will be your personal Savior. His, personal, his front end of his message was not receiving the, him as personal Savior. The front end of the message was receive the kingdom of God. Receive the rule of God in your life and in your culture. Receive the rule of God. And, and now we kind of flip the script today and we, we, because we, become, uh, we are, we are, we are uh, absorbed with uh, uh, individualism in the, in the Western culture. So we just, Jesus is your personal savior, your personal psychologist, your personal uh, therapist, uh, your personal uh, errand boy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's Western, that's Americanized Christianity. And, 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 and thank God Jesus is those things. I, 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 Jesus has run a lot of errands for me in my life, and I'm really grateful. <laughs> but but, but I'm, I'm telling you, the dynamic and power of the gospel is it's about the kingdom of God. That's the power of the gospel, is the rule of Christ. The rule of Christ that begins in your heart, begins in your church, flows out into your community, and is what will ultimately transform the world. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' manifesto of, his upside down, of this upside-down kingdom. Announcing and living in the loyalty to this new kingdom was what created all the trouble for Jesus and the disciples and the early church. Jesus cleansed the temple and rode a donkey into Jerusalem, letting it be announced that he was king. That's what got him killed. Jesus didn't get killed because he went around saying, love your neighbor. Jesus got killed because he went around preaching the kingdom. And look at, look at throughout the New Testament. People want to say, well, the early church wasn't political. I think it's pretty political to go and say, we have a new kingdom. <laughs> That's quite political, if you, tell, if you ask me. In Philippi, apostles were imprisoned and beaten for promoting unlawful customs. 
In Thessalonica, the apostles were accused of treason and sedition by promoting another king. In Athens, Paul was brought before the court and accused of promoting new gods. At Corinth, Paul was accused of promoting unlawful worship. At Ephesus, the apostles were accused of endangering the economy and offending the gods. Pliny, the governor of Bithynia and Pontius, that was in southern Turkey, lived around 60 AD, and we have several letters that he wrote to the emperor Trajan, the Roman emperor Trajan, or Trajan. Here's an excerpt from one of those letters, and we're going to put it on the wall for you. The sum and substance of their fault or error, he says, talking about the Christians, has been that they were accustomed to meeting on a fixed day before dawn and singing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by oath. I had forbidden political associations. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. Is that mind-boggling or not? That's a governor in the early church writing a letter to the emperor about what's wrong with these Christians. I had to take... You know, it's, it's tragic when you think, I, I had to torture two female deaconesses of the church so I could find out what's making you people tick. And all I could find out, I, I, I did not find out that they were a part of an insurrection to overthrow the Roman Empire. I just found out they had a bunch of excessive superstitions, like Jesus is risen from the dead and things like that. That's still going to get us in trouble with some people in the world. You say, well, I'm looking for a place to get out of trouble. The church might not be for you. <laughs> we're going to, if things keep going the way they are, John, we're going to have a hard time staying out of trouble. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to return to loving God and loving people. That's the keys to the kingdom of God. My little granddaughter, Ellie, the other day, we were having lunch last Sunday after church. And I did not really catch the question that Jay asked her, but I caught her answer. She said two things, love God and love people. That's what my three-year-old granddaughter understands, that the essence of life is to love God and to love people. Revelations 2, 2, 4, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, Bethany Community Church, and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. We can do this. We can do this. When St. Augustine wrote about the city of God versus the city of man, he, he was talking about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of humanity. He offered us two keys to the two cities. See, think of it. Think of it, the city of man. And I'll explain in a second what the, why the word city is so significant. He, here's what Augustine said. Two loves then have made the two cities. Love of self made the earthly city, and love of God made the heavenly city. 
St. Augustine, the city of God. Just think about, uh, think about, yeah, I admit it, I listen to secular music sometimes. But think about Eric Clapton's song, the great man of God, Eric Clapton, right? (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. But I love that song he sings, uh, Change the World. But here, I want you to, I want to read you the lyrics to that, and I want you to hear Jesus singing it, number one, to the political system. And then I want you to hear Jesus singing it to you, to you personally. It certainly is the message that is contained in the time when Jesus was weeping over his beloved Jerusalem, and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city... The city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather you, your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Keep in mind that the word for politics is polis, and polis means city. Metropolis, right? Metropolis. It's an ancient Greek word used in ancient political thought, especially that of Plato and Aristotle, to signify a city, a state, the rights of citizens, or a form of government. So Jesus was weeping over the political establishment that it offered, that had drifted so far from him and from his guidance and from his love. So our first calling today is to weep and pray for the political system. Some people think that the church is just to block it all out. And that, that's their way of dealing with it. Let's just block it out. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus did not block out the political system that had gone astray. But he wept over it. And I believe God is calling the church to prayer. And I believe God is calling us to weep over the political systems of our world that have gone far from him. But I want you to also hear these lyrics written to you from a personal God because I do believe in personal salvation And I hope that somebody and several in this room who haven't crossed the line of faith, haven't made Jesus your king, will do that when I pray in just three or four minutes. He said in the song, if I can reach the stars, pull one down for you, shine it on my heart so you could see the truth, that this love I have inside is everything it seems, but for now I find it's only in my dreams, and I can change the world, I will be the sunlight in your universe. You would think my love was really something good. What if you thought God's love was really something good? If I could change the world, if I could be king, even for a day, I'd take you as my queen. I'd have it no other way. And our love would rule in this kingdom we have made. Till then, I'd be a fool. Isn't it amazing how even a secular artist cannot help but capture the truth of God? and God's word, and the emotions and feelings of God. See, we're made in the image of God. So that love that we feel romantically, and that love we feel for our partner, is the same love that Jesus feels for you and me, and the same love that he feels for a broken world that's so lost. However, if our government, our polis, rejects our king, They can't stop him from being king. And they can't stop him from being your king. 
So pretend King Jesus was singing that song to you personally, to the church corporately. May I invite you all to be born again. And this is theologically probably incorrect, but for some of you to be born again again. <laughs> Perhaps for some of you, it'd be like Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy going into the closet and coming out into the world of Narnia. So that in the lyrics of that great old chorus we used to sing, you begin to see the kingdom of God. And it, if I had a pair of scales up here, the human politics and all that's going on, and the kingdom of God, I would want the kingdom of God to do like this. To be a heavier weight in your life. To be a, heavier, a greater social and moral and emotional investment in your life. To invest your life into the kingdom of God and the promotion of the kingdom of God. And yeah, you still, still have some weight over here. That's okay. Some of, you, some of you, God's going to call you into politics. I believe that. Some of you, God's going to call you into politics. We need more spirit-filled people in the political environment. We need more Daniels in Babylon. Amen? We need more Josephs in Egypt. That's another sermon, another subject. But we used to sing this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's stand. Is there someone, are there those here this morning who need to cross the line of faith? Who need, like Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of God? And be born again so they can see the kingdom of God. Have that supernatural salve put on your eyes so you can see a kingdom that's beyond this world. You will not lose your vision for this world. You will not stop seeing the world. You will just have, you will just have vision for something more transcendent and something higher and something greater. And I want to invite you to that right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, for every person who's in this building right now, that they'll have a fresh and new revelation of the kingdom of God. They will understand the kingdom of self and the kingdom of man, but they will understand of greater importance is the kingdom of God. And when they discuss morality and they discuss all kinds of subjects, that they will discuss it as how it impacts their life with God and how it impacts the kingdom of God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll bring salvation to every household. I, just close your eyes for a minute. I want to know, are there those of you in this room who prayed that prayer for, with me in your heart? You prayed it with me in your heart? Just raise your hand. Just put your hand up. Have you prayed that prayer with me in your heart? Now put your hand up if you prayed it for the first time. If you prayed it for the first time. God bless you. Let's return to the kingdom of God.